Hi there, and welcome to the Everyday Millionaire Podcast. My name is Patrick Francie, and I'm the CEO of the Real Estate Investment Network. In addition to being a business owner, I'm also a real estate investor, I'm a coach, I'm a husband, I'm a very proud grandfather. And along with that, I'm also committed to stretching beyond what I've already achieved and of living a fulfilled life by continuing to make a positive difference in the world. I invite you to join me to listen in on the Everyday Millionaire podcast as I interview and have conversations with seemingly ordinary individuals who have achieved some pretty extraordinary results, whether it be in their life, in their business, in real estate. And it's here where I'm going to delve into the details of their journey, along with the paths they've traveled to get where they are today, and as importantly, where they intend to go in the future. My guests are here to inspire. They're here to help you learn by talking about what's real for them, both in their wins and in their challenges, from the life and the lifestyle they live to the person they had to become along the way in creating and building their financial futures for themselves and their families. Before I begin this episode, I'll start by first thanking you for listening in and for your support and the feedback you provide us on the show, as well as to ask you to please continue to send your comments, your suggestions, or your questions directly to me at CEO at RainCanada.com. That is CEO at R-E-I-N-Canada.com. And if you're inclined, please share this podcast with your friends or your family and with people you know, or perhaps even people you don't know. Rate the show and comment on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, or whatever platform you happen to use to listen in. And while you're at it, please follow me on the Everyday Millionaire Facebook page. So thanks again for the feedback you provide us. It's definitely appreciated. Okay, let's get on with this show and have a conversation with today's guest. After 21 years of policing, my guest today, Adrian Pinoza, retired early as a result of his choices that he made to invest in real estate. 11 years later, Adrian is a full-time real estate investor, entrepreneur of multiple companies, and the driving force behind a portfolio of 265 doors. He's the founder and co-owner of his business, Executive Properties, Inc. It's a boutique, full-service property management company which handles more than 500 doors in the Hamilton area. He is also the co-founder of Vision Construction Management that focuses on multifamily conversions and renovations in the Hamilton area as well. Along with that, he's the founder, Executive Properties Capital Inc., his investment company that raises capital through joint venture partnerships to purchase investment properties. And lastly, Adrian is part owner of a highly successful real estate team, McKay Realty Network. His passion is helping others like himself to achieve generational wealth by applying his proven model of success in his expertise of the Burr strategy by renovate and refinance. So without any further delays, let's get this show started. Adrian Pinoza, welcome to the Everyday Millionaire Podcast. Thanks for joining me. Hey, thanks for having me, Patrick. Great to be here. So Adrian, as I start with all of my podcasts, uh, for our listeners, tell me a little bit. If I'm asking Adrian, I bump into you and uh, we give a 60-second elevator pitch and I say, Adrian, what do you do? Have you got an answer to that question? Yeah, I'm a full-time real estate investor, joint venture uh, specialist in the um, 
Hamilton area mm-hmm. of uh, Ontario. Mm-hmm. So how did you, uh, so that's great, short and sweet. And uh, how long have you been playing the game of called full-time real estate investor? I retired from the police department in 2017. Mm-hmm. And uh, so from 17 to 21, 2017 to now, so four years. Yeah. Okay, great. So then uh, when you uh, left the police, uh, OPP or RCMP? I, no, I was uh, in the GTA, yeah. Peel Regional Police. Oh, Peel Regional. So cool. Mississauga, Brampton area. Yeah. And how, uh, long, were you, how long were you in the, uh, the force? We're on the force. 21 years. 21 years. Okay, so we got to get a little bit into that. So how did you uh, go from being a police officer to saying, uh, I'm going to start investing in real estate? Yeah, so I actually started investing about 11 years ago when I was um, I was still on the job, mm-hmm. and uh, I just I was right around you know my my 10 year 10 years of service give or take, and the light bulb went off, and I wanted to start creating um, I wanted to subsidize my pension because I thought you know I'm going to put my 30 years in on the job, and essentially when I retire I wanted you know I thought maybe a couple cash flowing properties to subsidize my pension so I could live the same lifestyle that I uh, was living uh, with a full-time police salary. Mm-hmm. So it started out with the mindset, you know, my why back then was to create some cash flow to, so I can live that lifestyle, essentially fast forward 11 years and um, things on my first four investments. So two the original, I want two properties turned into four. Mm-hmm. And um, that four, essentially every property was cash flowing about $1,500 a month uh, when I first started. Wow. Ultimately led me to, let's call it financial freedom with respect to the cash flow coming in from those first four. Mm-hmm. And I was um, able to, I guess, take it to the next level take a step back from the police department and just really wanting to focus now on real estate investing. And what was most attractive to me was being able to dictate my day as opposed to being locked into the nine to five, you know, I'm on night shift. I got to go to court. I got to do this. I was now getting more and more attracted. Obviously the cash flow was nice. That was coming in, but I was more attracted to, that lifestyle of, you know, living life on your own terms and and being able to do what I wanted on any given day. Let's go back a little bit. Uh, Let's start to break this down a little bit, uh, Adrian, and and tell me, so what was the, you know, why real estate? You know, we started talking and within the Real Estate Investment Network, we started talking about investing in Hamilton, I want to say about 15 years ago, uh, somewhere in there, 13, 15 years ago. But where did you get the bug to start investing in real estate? And, and, And why Hamilton? Is that because it was your backyard? Yeah. So my mortgage broker back then, mm-hmm. my mortgage on my principal residence was coming up for renewal. And again, rewind 11 years ago, we didn't have any properties. So in conversation with this mortgage broker, he tapped in obviously to all our finances and whatnot. And um, <clears throat> he's like, Adrian, you have all this equity in your in your principal residence. What are you doing with that? You know, mm-hmm. above and beyond renewing your mortgage, what are you doing with all this equity in your home? And you know, 11 years ago, I didn't even know what that meant. Sure. And I didn't even really know how to start to 
I, I like to say, wake up that sleeping money. So he kind of put me onto it and he said, have you ever thought about investing in real estate? Nay, teeter tottered, but you hear all these horror stories, tenants don't pay and all that kind of jazz. So, um, but he planted the seed and, you know, I, I had several conversations with him about real estate investing. He was a mortgage broker. He wore two hats, mortgage broker, real estate agent. So Mm -hmm. he kind of planted the seed and I entertained the idea and I'm like, okay, well, you know, maybe just my my personality and having that police police background as far as, you know, not afraid to take chances, so to speak. And um, I said, okay, let's do it. You know, I, uh, we were looking at properties and um, he's the one that brought me to Hamilton. Mm-hmm. He actually had a couple of properties in Hamilton at that time. And, you know, I didn't know the first thing about Hamilton 11 years ago, essentially. Um, I didn't even know North, South, East or West in the city. I'd never been to Hamilton and really didn't have a reason to go there. But yet uh, we went on a road trip one day and kind of looked at some properties and the multifamily stuff out there and ran the numbers. And it's like, wow, we can create, you know, fifteen, seventeen hundred dollars cash flow, you know, off this fourplex or triplex. And mm-hmm. those numbers seemed very attractive. Sure. And um, so I jumped in with both feet and uh, again, maybe just my, my upbringing in the police department and, um, you know, taking a chance. And yep. um, I, I jumped in with both feet and never looked back. So where now when it came to it, were you just working with your broker? Was he kind of mentoring you through this, coaching you through this? Where were you getting where were you getting learning your lessons in terms of what to buy, why to buy, you know, how attracting rents going or uh, attracting tenants? collecting rents, like all of the business side of uh, investing in real estate. Where were you? Were you reading? Were you internet searching? Were you just tapped into your mortgage? A little bit of everything. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, Patrick, a little bit of everything, a lot of reading. I wouldn't say he was mentoring me. He was kind of guiding me with the numbers when we were analyzing the numbers as far as the ROI and stuff like that Mm -hmm. is really what's his influence with me. The, um, you know, taking it from there, I did my own research and read and, um, you know, tried to Google as much as I could. And, you know, it's not brain science, you know, having the police background, obviously doing my proper background checks and screening tenants and, you know, all that kind of stuff came pretty easy for me, given the fact that I did that for a living. Mm -hmm. So all that kind of hands-on navigating through the process, I did a lot on my own. For the most part, sure. I didn't have a mentor or a coach, for example. Now you, uh, I mean, you've scaled a lot in the in the eleven years you've been part of it. Give us a little bit of background into what you've scaled to, what your business model is today. Given that you're now full time in the world of investing in real estate, what does that even mean? Yeah, so we, I guess, um, when I left the police department in 2017, I decided I wanted to turn it into a business uh, per se, and really um, focus on joint venture partnerships for like-minded investors. For the most part, uh, focusing on the Burr strategy, mm-hmm. on the acquisitions. Sure. So in doing such, and now being in that space for a number of years, obviously building a power team behind me of contacts and, and, um, and experience, of uh, some well-established people in the industry as well, as far as, you know, lawyers, insurance people, um, contractors, 
segued me into attracting joint venture partners to facilitate stuff they either didn't have time to do on their own. They, uh, you know, obviously entrepreneurs having full-time careers didn't have the time or don't have the knowledge, so on and so forth to get involved. And most of our Burr projects are, you know, involving substantial renovations. Mm -hmm. We took it from uh, when I left the police department, I had, I want to say, including my principal residence, we, um, we were at five properties, we meaning my, my wife and I. Mm -hmm. And um, since then, um, we, we scaled from the five properties to 65 properties mm -hmm. that we own in joint venture partnerships now, which is about just over 264 units mm -hmm. that we own. Again, first five on our own, the remainder in joint venture partnerships. Sure. So we scaled the business quite aggressively, mm -hmm. uh, obviously over the last four years. And because we focused on the Burr strategy, the buy, renovate, refinance, rent, we also opened up our own or we started our own construction company to facilitate all of these renovations. Because quite honestly, I, I got burnt a few times by different general contractors for one reason or another throughout the renovations that uh, I was involved in. So that kind of segued me into saying, you know, enough of that. I'm not going on Kijiji anymore and finding these fly-by-night characters. Um, and we also started our own in-house property management company as well to facilitate uh, the property management services for all of these units now that we own in, in joint venture partnerships. So when you, uh, now are all the properties, did you stick right in your backyard or the backyard called Hamilton or did you expand beyond that, Adrian? Uh, all in Hamilton. All in Hamilton. So you got really aggressive in that. Did you go to a specific uh, kind of property type did you say okay if it's a bungalow this and this and this is what we want and as long as it's a bungalow with that this is you know buy it yeah. or what did you what did you how did you how focused did you get yeah we focused predominantly um we don't really have an investment in single family or condos it's all multifamilies, duplex tries quads right up to uh purpose-built uh tw 12 unit apartment buildings mm -hmm. so all multifamilies is really our niche. And um, obviously being in that space for however, you know, the number of years we've been there, we're really solid at um, analyzing the numbers and ultimately producing incredible returns. We've been fortunate producing credible returns on our Burr projects. Right. So your joint venture partners, they're equity partners as well. You're at, you, you take on an equity position in each property. Uh, they invest the capital, you invest the expertise. Is that kind of the fundamental of the model? Yes. Yeah. So tell me a little bit about, you know, I mean, you started out in the police force. You're still a relatively young man. And, and so you started out in the police force. How do we get into that world of, you know, having that entrepreneurial spirit? Do you come from that? I ask these questions with almost all my guests, Adrian, because it's, you know, always the question of what is the journey to being in the business of investing in real estate, being an entrepreneur? You know, uh, I'd like to be able to say, you know, four and a half years, almost five years into doing my podcast, you know, it's, it's nature versus nurture nurture or it's nurture versus nature but it's not so it's everybody's got their own kind of story around it how did you end up being in the business of investing in real estate how did you become that entrepreneur was it always something you were driven to do family background how do you think you ended up where you are today 
I think a little bit of luck. Mm. Uh, I didn't have a background in business at mm. all. You know, my my dad, uh, he's retired now, obviously, but my dad was uh, a licensed electrician mm. working for a company, you know, putting in his nine to five. My mom, um, growing up, my mom worked for Bell Canada, mm-hmm. putting in their nine to five. So they're not really entrepreneurs at all. Mm-hmm. And nobody in my family really was. And, you know, I, I think my vision, if, if I were to take a stab at it, I think my vision, I'm a big thinker and I like to think big and, you know, abundance as opposed to scarcity. Mm-hmm. And I think my big thinking and my my personality with, um, if I, if I think it's worth a shot, I'll take a chance and, and do something. Mm-hmm. If I, if I've done my research and I feel comfortable about it, mm-hmm. so I kind of, I, I've kind of built that vision and, and created that, I don't know, for lack of a better word, created those opportunities for myself by taking as silly as it may sound my, by taking chances. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'm, I don't procrastinate forever. If I like something and I've done my research and it looks good, it sounds good. It, t- it tastes good. It touches good. You know, all that I, I pull the trigger. Mm-hmm. And, um, I think my mindset really kind of landed me where I am today. And obviously, you know, I've made some good choices and maybe a little bit of luck mm-hmm. you know, as well along the road. Well, you know, it's interesting. I've been in business 37 years. Neither of my parents were entrepreneurial in spirit. You know, I had my uh, entrepreneurial accident back in, you know, 1984, I guess it was somewhere in there. And, uh, you know, that was the last time that uh, I had a uh, a job, if you would uh, look at it that way. So, you know, I get what you're saying and it's just curious about it. Now, uh, you went into the police force and uh, then you started on the real estate journey. Your wife is one of your partners or your primary partner in your business right now. Yeah. Now, has she always been, what is, what about her? Is she, uh, you know, what was, what was, what was her background? And in- she's still working uh, for the police department. Mm-hmm. So okay. she's, um, she works uh, in the communications department, nine one one dispatcher yeah. for the police department. So she's since the business started uh going in the right direction um she's taken a step back and now is only part-time yeah but she's still uh employed with the police department on a part-time basis Mm -hmm. but yeah she helps out quite a bit obviously um with some of the fundamentals more so the the office stuff and the administrative tasks and and whatnot while i'm out there um you know obviously growing the business with networking and other sure avenues with yeah. uh, other investors bringing the whales in throwing them on the table yeah yeah exactly say, i'll be back yeah. get this one handled so tell me yeah. a little bit about what you've learned you know this is something that we see often is uh couples coming together and working together sometimes it works really well other times it, you forget it it's just not gonna go uh what have you learned along the way or what do you think your wife and yourself have learned along the way in terms of working together in the real estate business and and you know in the business together what have you learned so far do you think it's funny you know it's uh, when you're an entrepreneur and you're working for yourself and obviously, you know, your wife's part of your business as well. It's hard to turn it off. Mm-hmm. It, it, you know, you could work 24 seven if you wanted to, because all you got to do is open up the laptop and respond to another email and this and this and that. But mm-hmm. ultimately it's given us the, we spent a lot of time together 
obviously Mm -hmm. that um, obviously when she's not at the police department, but yeah. And um, I think in a way it's brought us closer Mm -hmm. uh, essentially because although during nine to five, we talk about business predominantly and we try not to talk about business after hours, Mm -hmm. but at least we see a lot more of each other Mm -hmm. um, that she's been able to take a step back from the police department. I mean, at one point in time, she worked for the police. I worked for the police. She's on night shift. I'm on day shift raising children and whatnot. So mm-hmm. there was a lot of disconnect there too. Um, and there'd be days sometimes, you know, depending on what shifts we were on, we never saw each other. Mm-hmm. So, you know, take her, me obviously leaving her taking a part-time position and now working in unison, it's given us, uh, I think our relationship, uh, has gotten closer mm-hmm. and, um, it's been a positive experience. That's great. And now kids, how many kids, how, what kind of age groups are you? Like? What, what, what's their age? I said children, but we only have the one. Okay, uh, got it. She's, uh, Vanessa is uh, 21 years old. She yeah. just graduated uh, from university. Yeah. So um, yeah, we just have the one. Now is she, uh, is she going to uh, fall in the shoes of mom and dad, do you think, or are you going to throw her out in a different world until she uh, gets some experience somewhere else? No, I encouraged, I actually encouraged her when she was, she graduated this year from uh, Guelph University. I encouraged her. Uh, she's seen a lot, heard a lot. Oh, you know, as, as an investor and, and entrepreneur, you're always on the phone, obviously carrying conversations with uh, different people. But so she's heard and seen all the commitments I've made right from day one when we bought our first property till now and the ups and downs. Uh, mm-hmm. So I've, I welcome her to kind of take over the reins Mm -hmm. uh, eventually, Mm -hmm. given we only have the one child. And obviously, you know, with the with the portfolio that we have, she stands to obviously inherit, reap the rewards long term of, you know, the fruits of our labor, sort of speak. So I think she's going to put on the team sweater for sure and um, definitely uh, come on board now that she's finished university. Sure. Fantastic. Now, but tell me something now you've turned it into a business. When you think about back into your why and why you got into, uh, investing, you now have, you know, lots of doors. You're, uh, you're all in, um, you've, you've got a big, strong upside. And so the question now becomes is, and I'm curious about this is when is enough enough now, given the portfolio you've built, and given that you'd come to a place where well, I can pretty much leave my job, uh, replace that income, now why are you doing it? What's next for you? So why do you carry on? I want to essentially create a legacy for my family, especially my daughter, obviously, and only having the one, and provide, uh, turn over the reins and provide for my family, daughter, eventually grandchildren and whatnot, a lifestyle and stability that I, you know, as much as my parents gave me everything they could at the time growing up, I didn't have the kind of, you know, abundance lifestyle that I'm getting into that space. Mm-hmm. So my goal, my why now is to just to leave that for my family and, and make sure obviously they're well looked after. And, you know, one is enough enough. Um, I'm 47 years old mm-hmm. and I've made a commitment to, um, officially take a step back and turn over the reins at the age of 50. No, there you go. And then maybe sail away, you know, uh, get a vacation property down South somewhere Mm -hmm. and, um, log in off the laptop and just kind of see how things are going. But, um, 
my why now is really for my family and creating that that space for them. Fantastic. So tell me something along this, Adrian, is that you've mentioned a couple of times, you've talked about mindset, you know, the overall attitude that you come to the game with. Now, was that something that you did a lot of work on your own, just through reading? What what got you there? Is it is it, you know, just by character? You grew up kind of thinking that way, or did you have to develop that attitude? I think the police department gave me that that way of thinking. I really do. Mm-hmm. And I had the opportunity when I was working in the police department to work a lot of different bureaus within it. You know, I spent some time in the homicide bureau, bank robbery bureau, pretty much every, almost every, you know, investigative function within the police department I took part in. And sometimes you got to get really creative on catching these bad guys, sort of speak, and and kind of navigating through the waters on outthinking and growing and just kind of growing that uh, and catching the bad guy and, sure. and using different avenues to do that. Thinking outside the box, that's the word I'm looking for. Mm-hmm. Thinking outside the box. And I think the police department taught me that in one way or another. And that abundance mindset, maybe sometimes I in sleepless nights, I just kind of think of how I can make things better and, and continue to grow something like, Okay, I bought three properties last year, for example. You know, how many can I buy this year? And how can I continue to grow that and scale that? And I think that's the avenue on why, mm-hmm. how that's affected me, my previous career, really. I, I, I take it to there. Now, when we talked about you, you know, joining me on the show today, you, you had mentioned, you know, that you just want to give back. You want to share knowledge. You know, when you think about some of the things that you've learned, are there one, two, five, three, whatever it might be, highlights that you know you'd really want investors or future investors to know along the way? Uh, some heavy lifting that you have to go through, or attitude. Uh, what are some of the things that you'd want people to know about all of this, Adrian? I can't stress enough. You really need to surround yourself. I was fortunate. I just kind of rolled with it. But in looking back now, I could have saved myself a lot of time and maybe maybe money as well. Mm-hmm. But I can't stress enough. If you've made the decision that this is an avenue you want to go down, real estate investing, you really, really have to surround yourself with the right professional people mm-hmm. or the right people in, uh, around you because it can make the, it can make such a difference in in how the next five years are going to play out mm-hmm. um, and how your investments are going to play out. I can't stress that enough. If if somebody will give you the time that's done it already and kind of the advice and take the time to uh, mentor you or help you or coach you, it's really worth its weight in gold. The other thing I can, you know, if I were to say to anybody, at the end of the day, the reason why I did it too or the why I felt comfortable to start investing in real estate is because, you know, I looked at it at the end of the day, I'm buying bricks and mortar. Yeah. I'm not buying a stock that is going to go belly up and then my money's gone. I'm buying bricks and mortar. So worst case scenario, even if there's a market correction, you know, like we've all heard, it's not timing the market, it's time in the market. Sure. And our model has always been long-term investments, um, long-term investing, generational wealth, as opposed to flipping. So, you know, if you surround yourself with the right people, take action, long-term investing, in my opinion, you can't 
you can't lose. Mm -hmm. There may be a couple of little ripples along the way, but if you're into it long-term, you can't lose as opposed to, let's say, you know, I'm going to flip this in six months and hope the market doesn't crash in that time I'm getting ready to flip. So really surround yourself with the right people, talk to people, do your research, reach out to different people. I mean, ask them, Hey, do you have five minutes to talk to me and have a coffee and, and then once you have collected all that information and everything makes sense, you have to pull the trigger. You can't stay on the fence forever. Pull mm. the trigger. What's the worst? Like, you know, I've had a couple ups and downs, but I've never lost my shirt. We've always done well in the end. Again, long-term wealth. Does that answer your question? Yeah, no, I think that's a great answer to the question. I mean, it's a deep question, but there's some things here that I always take away. I mean, the Real Estate Investment Network as, as a business, as you likely know, we've been around 29 years, so we are all about community, culture, environment. Uh, and, you know, being in the police force, I'm, I'm a big proponent is, you know, set yourself up for success, success by putting yourself in the right environment. You know, it's like, you know, especially in a in an intense job, like being part of the police service, and I happen to know several other police officers, but the reality of it is, is that your environment that you're in is setting you up for success. In other words, your training, the individuals that are uh, even part of the police force are like-minded. Uh, all of those things are creating an environment for you to succeed as a police officer. And I believe that to be true in any business. I believe that to be true in real estate investing. Without a doubt, the most successful investors I know have really gone out of their way. They've really consciously made a decision to you know, put themselves in a place where the, they set themselves up in the environment to succeed. You know, you, you use a really great example. I mean, just you and your wife. You know, if by having the, even if your wife isn't involved in a day to day basis, as long as she's supportive, that's part of the environment that you're creating so that you're actually not pushing, you know, you know, or have an anchor tied to you because the other, you know, other person doesn't want to do it, you know, so it's, it's an interesting, you know, philosophy that a lot of people don't adopt and, and having the right people on your team. Now, I have an interesting, you know, for me is I'm interested in knowing Adrian is that, you know, you come from just pretty humble job as a police officer, you, uh, you're driven to, uh, you know, to succeed in your why in, in real estate investing is a way for you to financially do that. So that's kind of cool. But if I hear, you know, one common comment from thousands of investors that I've worked with directly or indirectly, one on one, one on many, all of the things that we do is, I can't find money. Like, where do I, how do I raise capital? You know, how do I find joint venture partners? And so tell me a little bit about some of what you've learned in raising capital, given that you've raised a lot of capital, you've done a lot of joint venture deals. Uh, let's dig into that a little bit. How is it that you managed to raise so much capital? I brought experience to the table is really the only reason I can think of. Um, so I, started from the bottom, like I described. And I, I, when I started, I did it all on my own. I was showing my own apartments. I was um, screening my own tenants. I was driving to all my properties and cutting the grass with the lawnmower in my trunk. You know, I, I've been in the trenches mm -hmm. and I, and I've been in the trenches from, you know, ground zero all the way to where we are today. So I had that experience. And while I was starting to grow in the industry, Again, developing strong connections and some very, very incredible returns on some of my acquisitions. 
I then started to promote that to other like-minded investors who said, okay, well, I think they were comfortable with obviously, you know, trustworthy from the profession I was coming from, uh, sort of speak. And then I had presentations. You're going to ask people to give you two, $300,000, you know, on an acquisition, you better be coming to the table with some, some credit, some merit, some, some experience. And, you know, it was, wasn't until I'd been in the game probably for five to six years before I built that credit, um, you know, for lack of a word, street credit, Mm -hmm. um, on my accomplishments and the, the power team I brought to the table. Investors were attracted to that or are attracted to that. And, you know, they felt comfortable to work with me as opposed to someone who, and yes, it, it is going to be a challenge. If you're just starting out, you've never done a burr, you've never done a, a, a purchase before, but you're going to go to your friend or colleague or whoever and say, Hey, can I get some money to do this? I don't have any experience in it. So I think because I jumped through the trenches on my own, and navigated through those waters originally by myself, build up the credibility. And it wasn't until I was five, six years in the game before I started to promote what I was bringing to the table. Right. So, but where did these investors come from? Are you, are you actively, have you got a website? Are you, or are they just referrals? Like where do the, I mean, I can get that you probably have, you know, friends and family, that circle of influence, maybe some people you worked with initially, I'm guessing, like you say, you've attracted a lot of investment capital. So did you get really aggressive in terms of, you know, putting on, like I said, on a website, social media or word of mouth? How did, how did they all start to show up? Aggressive uh, marketing campaigns, Mm -hmm. website, a lot of word of mouth. I got a couple of leads through different podcasts that I'd been interviewed on. I guess people resonated with my story and, um, you know, my journey in in the space. But since we kind of became entrepreneurial and turning this into a a full-time business slash career, aggressive marketing really and um website leads and and uh, Mm -hmm. building a power team we now have an inside sales agent that um you know also works with us that uh, promotes our company and stuff like that Mm -hmm. but prior to it was really just word of mouth and um a couple leads from a couple breaks that i got from being interviewed on a uh and again this is I don't know, seven, eight years ago when I first was interviewed on uh, a podcast Mm -hmm. that uh, segued into those uh, leads. Right. So tell me, you know, if if you don't mind, I want to dig into this raising capital thing a little bit because it's a really popular topic. And, uh, you know, we teach a whole program on it, you know, uh, which we've digitized. But I'm interested in kind of philosophy or or how you look at the partners. You know, if somebody's got a check, do you take it? Is there a filter that goes, no, you know, you're not really right for us? Kind of philosophically, how do you, do you ever say no to a, a partner? Or or is have you turned it into that kind of machine or well-oiled machine that says, no, this is just going to work. You know, you go do that, scratch the check. This is how it works. Or, or do you actually get into it a little deeper than that? I'm just curious on your, your particular model, Adrian. Yeah. So uh, we were attracting people. First of all, you have to be qualified. So yeah. 
obviously there's a there's a schematics for people that um, fit the model. Yeah. And then uh, we typically engage in anywhere between one and three meetings, whether they're Zoom, obviously as of late, more Zoom meetings than in person. Sure. Um, and we lay out um, basically what we're looking for and um, the kind of ideal JV partner, what they would be like. So for example, right off the bat, we're looking for people, one simple thing is um, that are okay with a five-year commitment. Mm-hmm. Um, so a, a buy, renovate, refinance, and hold for five years. Mm-hmm. We're looking yeah. for people that have X amount of capital to bring to the table. Some some novice investors are not overly fluent on, obviously, oh, I have 50000 in savings and I want to get involved in a, um, a multifamily burp project with 50000 Well. Unfortunately, that's not going to work. Mm-hmm. Um, but no, we do spend a lot of time having those conversations at the onset to determine, and maybe some of the stuff they may hear me say or vice versa, and then we determine whether they're a good fit or not. No hard feelings either way. This is this is how we do it. This is why we do it. Mm-hmm. If it if you're comfortable with it, you know, let's talk about potentially getting in a business together. If you're not, but no hard feeling. It's not. Now you talked about building a great team. So in your world, as you've built this team, you talked about right now, you've got a sales guy in terms of, uh, you know, attract being part of your, your capital raising team. Now, what about your realtors? Do you have a, uh, do you have a dozen that you work with a half a dozen mortgage brokers? Like how did you build that team? What does that start to look like Adrian? Yeah. So part of the process of me leaving and then obviously getting into this full-time investing, I also got, I'm licensed realtor as well. Mm-hmm. So I can do a lot of the um, previewing properties and analyzing properties and, and whatnot on my own. Mm-hmm. Um, we do have two more buyer agents that work on our team that also solicit, um, you know, off-market deals, for example. Um, we are in partnership with a, uh, another real estate team Mm-hmm. Uh, McKay Realty Network, which is, operates out of Hamilton. And they have a team of um, 14 agents mm-hmm. that we work in synergy with. So we have a lot of leads coming in from them as far as, you know, properties that uh, fit the bill. Yeah. Just over time, too, again, we, we really wanted to keep everything in-house. Mm-hmm. And uh, as we began to grow the business, keeping everything in-house segued us, like I mentioned, to start our own construction team. Yeah, property management team, and then being in that space. Yes, we have two go-to um, mortgage brokers that we work with. One on the commercial platform, one on the residential platform. Preferred lawyers that close our deals and analyze, uh, you know, legal ramifications and whatnot. So mm-hmm. it's just years. You know, I tell everybody when we potentially get into business with them. What we've established here is, is something that's taken about 11 years mm-hmm. from start to finish. And um, we created, ultimately, my mind, my abundance mindset was, I want to create like a Costco. You come in the door, we have the agents in place to find the right properties for us, number one. And then obviously, being in that space for as long as we've been, we're, you know, without sounding pompous, I want to say we're experts in the industry with respect to analyzing the numbers mm-hmm. and, and how the numbers are looking. And then obviously the in-house construction, the in-house property management, we started an in-house landscaping company. So again, 
everything from shoveling the snow to planting flowers to cutting the grass. It's all done, essentially offering the Costco, you know, hands-free real estate investing. Great. I mean, it's a great business model too. And, and, you know, number one, you manage to the quality of work, the control of the work. And, and, and so there's just a lot of upside for doing it that way. Totally get it. And that's brilliant. Tell me a little bit, you know, Adrian, when you talk about Hamilton, uh, you know, because I'm, like you say, I know lots of people who invest in Hamilton. I get lots of feedback on Hamilton and, uh, you know, they're saying it's unaffordable there. You know, you can't get cash flow. So is it really can you do that only because your model's strong? you got great agents. You're finding those deals that are, uh, you know, vendor motivated and you're able to get them at a, at a great discount. Or tell me a little bit about how are you managing to get properties that cash flow so well uh, these days, given the uh, price escalation over the past, let's say, year and a half. Yeah, so on our model with the Burr strategy, again, we, and I haven't mentioned this, but we're producing 90 plus percent ROI. And, and basically our analysis shows, or you know, when we're running our numbers, we're showing, okay, if we're gonna inject $300,000 and we're gonna buy this property at, um, and I'm gonna use easy math, 500,000, and we're gonna put in at the end of the day, 250, 300,000. Our analysis shows on the back end, we're gonna refinance this just over a million dollars. So we're gonna be able to pull out most, if not all of that capital on the back end on the refine, force that appreciation through the power of those renovations. Mm -hmm. So people say, okay, Adrian, you know, as of late, obviously prices have gone uh, quite high. People have said as of late, do the numbers still work? Yes, the numbers still work. And yes, I, I attributed it to our analysis because obviously if we're going to join venture on a project and we're going to own potentially 50% of that acquisition, as your business partner, your joint venture partner, I obviously I, our company's not going to get involved in a project that is going to yield terrible returns, mm-hmm. right? It just doesn't make sense. I won't, I won't do it. Um, I have to like the numbers as much as Patrick's got to like the numbers. Mm-hmm. Same thing. So although prices of our, our, our entry-level prices have gone up, our refinance values have gone up as well. So it's all kind of relative. Sure. And again, we show that in our analysis on the numbers at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. Where yes, we're paying. So right now we're paying anywhere between 700 and 725 on a distressed four-unit property. Okay, great. Whereas pre-COVID, we were paying, you know, 600. Mm-hmm but it's relative to the refinances. So now pre COVID we were refinancing at about 900 mm-hmm. buying it at 600. Now we're refinancing at 1.1, 1, 1, 150, for example, on acquisitions that we were once upon a time refinancing at 900. So refinance values have gone up as well. Somebody that says you can't cash flow in Hamilton. I'd love to talk to them mm-hmm. because I'm living proof time there's no property we own Mm -hmm. that you know for example our four unit properties produce a minimum minimum of anywhere between 1100 to 1500 a month Mm -hmm. and that's with extracting all of our capital well i guess you know at the end of the day you know it's they're 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 looking for turnkey opportunities that cash flow and 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 
And that might be part of the dilemma, right? Because if they're going in, if they were going to buy that property for you, from you, for example, and you were selling it for 1.1, if you were selling it for 1.1 or 1.3 or whatever number you might be selling it, that's probably where they're struggling to get cash flow, I would assume, you know, given what's going on in the market. Is that right. what, that that the thought process? Because I mean, if you're you're doing bur, you know, you're doing a bur strategy right now, so you've got a lot of control over the costs and uh, how you move forward. So that's my thought process on it. Uh, what what's your perspective of it? Yeah, I can't get too detailed on that yeah. comment because I haven't bought a turnkey property <laughs> yeah, right. in probably for a long five, time. Six years. <laughs> sure. You know, yeah. when I started, I did obviously because I didn't have everything we have now. Yeah. But like I said, the fi- the past five six years, every single acquisition's been a burr. Yeah, got it. So I can't really comment that. You know, in fairness to the audience and yourself, that's that's I perfect. Can't comment on that. Yeah, just a just a curious question. So that and that's fine. So now you remain bullish on Hamilton. Why do you like Hamilton so much? The numbers. I it's a space that I'm I'm overwhelmingly confident in. Mm-hmm. Uh, just being in that space for eleven years now, and we can rinse and repeat the Burr model time and time again and be successful at it mm-hmm. in today's even in today's market. So, you know, we are looking at expanding to other fluid markets, i.e. Brantford, Kitchener-Waterloo. We're uh, looking at uh, expanding into the Niagara region as well, so on and so forth. So, but right now, predominantly, we're still, the numbers still work for us in Hamilton. Mm -hmm. And, you know, knowing that, knowing that market center is, is as confident as we do, we're still really concentrating on that. So tell me a little bit, you know, because, you know, when you start getting into uh, a renovate and flip a burr kind of thing, a burr strategy, uh, it takes some know-how. Where did you gain your background in, you know, in renovating properties? Did you come by it honestly growing up or were you just figuring shit out as you went along? How did you kind of get the expertise early on or where did that knowledge come early on? Figuring it out as I went along, I don't have a construction background. I have a, I have a vision and I had a vision, but again, figuring it out, it's kind of one of those things I can do that. Mm -hmm. If he can do it, I can do it. And, Mm -hmm. you know, it hasn't been all roses. There's been, you know, I've lost some money obviously with some contractors that, you know, took me for a ride, Mm -hmm. but I figured it out as I went along again, you know, as long as you have a really, really good analysis on the numbers Mm -hmm. to me, that's, that's most important. And then obviously building that construction construction is a huge component though, of the burr as well, which you already know, Mm -hmm. you know, having a a terrible construction budget or a terrible contractor can literally make or break that burr. Right. Right. Um, such a fundamental piece of, of that burr. But no, I figured it out as I went. And again, just, you know, my mindset and personality, I think, is attributed to that. So now you're doing burr, you're in it deep, you continue to build the model, and that's awesome. But tell me a little bit about the effects of COVID. I mean, as we sit here today, uh, you know, lumber prices have started to come back down a bit. But I mean, lumber prices are up you know, two, 300%, whatever the number is these days. So Mm -hmm. my question, you know, is really around how did you manage to kind of handle all of the, the rising costs and the things that were going on, Adrian? 
So we have a, a full-time project manager that supervises all of our uh, construction projects. And obviously our quotes, um, when we're embarking on a project and we're putting together the numbers on the project, I really rely on his expertise. I personally, you know, I know obviously lumber's gone through the roof, but our contracts are probably up a good, at least a good $25,000, $30,000 from where they were, you know, a year ago, for example. Mm -hmm. uh, but I really rely on his expertise and um, that's kind of his forte and mm -hmm. putting together the contracts and budgets and, and whatnot. And uh, obviously our goal is to have a successful project from start to finish and our token is obviously to extract most, if not all of that capital on the back end. So our numbers are super tight. They really, really are. And that's where my expertise really come into play. Mm -hmm. And I rely on our project manager to deal with the, the construction and the costs associated to the increase in the influx in the industry. Yeah, managing the numbers. I mean, that's a big part of it. And, and this goes back to, you know, once again, is is that math or those numbers or those Excel spreadsheets? Is that kind of your is is that your gig? Is that stuff you love to do? And, and the, does the math kind of light you up because you can do it? Or uh, was that just something that you had to uh, force yourself to pay attention to? As our projects we started to grow in that space of the burr and the numbers and the refi analysis and the projections and whatnot. As we started to grow into that space, I got better and better at it mm -hmm. uh, for sure. Um, and really honed in on, you know, our reputation as far as what we're, we're going to deliver. A lot of people want to partner with us because of our results, but I like numbers. I'm pretty, I'm obviously pretty good at the numbers and mm. that's really my expertise. And obviously, you know, when I'm previewing these properties that I'm going to go and bring to a joint venture partner, I, I have a knack for, if you're going to be good in the industry, I think most people do, but looking beyond, like we've, we've purchased homes that are so far gone and you can't even stay in there more than 30 seconds. Cause the smell of cat urine is overwhelming, for example, sure. in some of these, <laughs> some of these distressed, uh, properties, but I can see all beyond that and, and the composition and the layouts of the units and structural changes as far as, Hey, if we open that wall up and move that wall here, we can actually create this or that, that accompanied with so my my long-term vision, my projection and what this is going to look like at the end of the rainbow, that in combination with the numbers is really my expertise, what I like to do. And I'm, I'm actually pretty good at it. So tell me now you're, uh, you know, part of getting into real estate was to create a future lifestyle. Now you're into it kind of up to your neck in terms of the operating a business. You've scaled it. You've done a lot of stuff. Are you able to manage your lifestyle around it? Are you, it's, you had said, you know, you, you and your wife are trying to develop the discipline to not be 24 seven business. And I know how hard that can be. My wife and I are both have been both are both self-employed uh, businesses run in parallel. Some crossover, others don't. But the point is, is that how have you done, do you think in terms of just creating a lifestyle around it in terms of giving yourself time off uh, or taking time off, I guess is more the question, or are you uh, just fired up to do it right now and you're not so focused on needing time away? How do you, how do you handle those situations with you and your wife, Adrian? Yeah, it's given us financial freedom, obviously. Um, we've been able to uh, invest in a cottage 
and um, something I've always wanted to do since I was a you know a wee little wee little guy. Yeah. And you know, for example, growing up, my parents you know weren't overly wealthy, so we you know our our family vacation was renting a cottage. You know, we could never afford to buy one or always go down to the Caribbean and you know all of us on a plane. It just wasn't in the cards. So what was in the cards was renting a cottage every summer. We rented a card cottage up on Georgian Bay and uh, I was able to purchase my own cottage, you know, mm -hmm. giving myself that uh, that freedom to disappear midweek. If I wanted to, I want to head up to the cottage and take the day off and enjoy the plus 40 degree weather on the beach. Yeah. I can do that. That's great. Because of those choices that, you know, I made in real estate those choices I made in real estate has given me that freedom to now own my own cottage and, and obviously live life there. If I wanted to, I just, you know, especially even as a real estate investor and analyzing numbers, you need a laptop and you need a phone, mm -hmm. right. And you can conduct a lot of business just from that. We have people in place. If I really wanted to, I didn't, ha I don't have to leave my cottage mm -hmm. if I didn't want to, I have buyer agents that can go preview the properties for me but I still enjoy what I do. Mm -hmm. So I can take off for two, three days, disappear as long as I have my laptop and my phone. And that's the freedom, the lifestyle freedom real estate investing gave me. And I think in our conversations, Patrick, I, one of intimate things that I wanted to share today was, you know, if I could give back and people look at my journey and my story of, you know, essentially not owning one investment property to owning 65, and that freedom that it's given me, I can't express more. It's changed my life. And if, if you can learn from my story, it can change your life and give you that freedom as well. And that's really what it's all about for me. Mm -hmm. At this point, I'd like to give back to. So when you're, uh, you know, you've got some freedom, uh, you look pretty fit. Do you have a kind of a health regiment of, of training, uh, eating right? Kind of where are you in that world these days? Yeah. So pre-COVID, obviously um, being, and then just, I've always been uh, a workout kind of guy, obviously being on the police department, staying in shape and whatnot. And then retiring, I still kept up with my physical fitness, just, you know, an average guy going to the gym three, four times a week, getting in that cardio and whatnot, you know, getting up a good sweat. Mm -hmm. COVID's changed that obviously I'm still in decent shape, but you know, not able to, um, not able to work out as often, you know, obviously gyms are closed still, Yeah. but I do make it a point to obviously try to, um, obviously eat right exercise and maintain a healthy lifestyle. I find for me, working out is a way to just to relieve that stress sometimes and clear your mind, even if it's only an hour and you hop on the treadmill or the elliptical for an hour and then just kind of get back into it. It's a good little break, but yeah, I try to eat right and uh, get in as much exercise as I can. That's great. And I think it's an important part. It's interesting that you've uh, accomplished a lot. You've scaled very quickly. I mean, even in a 10-year period of time, uh, what you've scaled to, because it's not just about the 65 doors, you're, uh, 
you're actually got your construction company, you're operating those doors, you're managing those doors. Uh, so there's a lot of business that you've actually built and scaled in all of that. And uh, that's quite an accomplishment. And if you're able to, you know, create a lifestyle around it and still be satisfied with the lifestyle, given how much you've grown, uh, there's a lot to be said that's pretty awesome about what you've done, Adrian. So congratulations on uh, your success in, in investing in real estate and building your business. I think it's awesome. Really great to hear. And, and to your point, I mean... Uh, not to minimize a police officer, but you were a police officer. You weren't a business guy. You weren't a CEO of an existing company already. You came out of the force. You had to make a tough decision. And I say tough decision. Was it a tough decision when you came off the force? Like, were you kind of freaking out going, okay, here I go. I'm jumping off the cliff. How did that kind of land for you and all of that, Adrian? Very, it probably took me two years to mm. finally, I'd been talking about it for two years, you know, going back and forth with my wife and my wife kept saying, just do it, just do it. You know, we're, we'll be okay. But just the mindset, you've always had that, you know, guaranteed paycheck, you know, every sure. two weeks coming in and the pension and the benefits and, um, you know, just that security mm -hmm. of, that, that security that, you know, you have that paycheck, no matter what you're going to make your, you know, I was making $130,000 a year mm -hmm. while I was there. So that that's a pretty good salary, but yeah, it took me two years to leave and consistently, you know, my wife poking me, Hey, like you're burning the candle at both ends. You know, I was taking care of all my properties. Like I said, maintenance, screening, leasing, the whole nine yards, running to night shift, waking up after three hours, running back to Hamilton, you know, just to try and do it. And she's like, you're, you're, you're killing yourself. Mm -hmm. You're literally burning yourself out. Not to mention now you're going to go work a night shift with three hours sleep. God forbid something you were to get into a compromising you know, situation sure. there. Are you going to even be awake to be able to, you know, protect yourself. So yeah, it was a huge decision. I'm glad I made it. I made it. It took me two years to make it. I finally said, okay, that's it. I'm done. I left on a high. I got promoted through the ranks and I, I've never looked back and it's been great. It's been great. Congratulations on all of that. And, I, you know, wives are awesome, aren't they? Especially those that kind of nudge you along, give you a little yeah. cuff, a little kick in the ass, a hug when you need it and a kick in the ass when you need it. And sometimes uh, that's exactly what are, you know, what anybody's significant other should do or as somebody's significant other to that. You know, that's the great thing about being in an awesome relationship is that sometimes we push and pull and uh, get each other going. So that's great. Adrian, you know, as we start to wind down, I, you know, I do a kind of a top 10 questions or a kind of rapid fire questions. And uh, so you got so you're, you're ready to uh, answer some yeah, quick questions. It. Let's do it. Yep. Do you have a favorite inspirational quote? Yeah, just with real estate investing, for me, it's, it's meant the world of a difference. And I've, I've already said it and I'll say it again. Get out of timing the market. For me, inspirationally, it's time in the market, yeah. not timing the market. And if I can tell you anything about my journey and, and, and resonates with you, I purchased properties 10 years ago. I still have them. They've doubled in value since I've had them 10 years. You know, I, when we started, we paid $310,000, you know, for our first turnkey triplex that I still have that property today. It's probably worth 675, 700,000. Fantastic. Time in the market, you can't lose. Beautiful. Love it. Do you have a favorite swear word? Fuck. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah, I don't know, Adrian. You know, I, 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 I'm an F-bomber myself. And uh, but, you know, recently I've had uh, guests on the show. They go, no, I don't swear. <laughs> I go, what? Oh, no, I, I, I definitely swear. Yeah, I, I'd just be no good at it. So anyways, good for you. What is a job that you, if you can think of one, what's a job that you still do, even though you're not all that great at it or you don't like it? Do you have one? You seem pretty efficient. So I don't know if you're going to have one of those. Can we come back to that one? We can come back to that one. Yeah, let's go back to that sure, one. Sure, sure. Android or Apple? Android. Yeah, good for you. I recently switched to Apple, I have to say, after many years. Pressure, pressure. I succumbed to peer pressure. And you know something? I don't know what the big deal is about Apple, but that's a different conversation. And uh, on a scale of 1 to 10, how weird are you? How weird am I? Yeah. Probably a two. Two. You're not weird at all. You're just straight. No, I'm You're pretty straight. Pretty straight. Your room, your desk, or your car, what do you clean first? Uh, my desk. Do you have a favorite tune? I like the, the old um, rock and roll yeah. kind of uh, cottage kind of music, you know, the old school kind of. Sure. Uh, that's kind of my uh, genre. Favorite movie? I'm an action kind of guy. I, I don't think I really have a favorite, but yeah. more action as opposed to uh, romantic kind of stuff. Yeah, I get it. And uh, if heaven exists, what do you hear? Want to hear God say when you get to the gates? Um, <laughs> that's a good one. I want God to say you've done well. You've given everything you can to your family. They're okay. Come on in. Welcome to heaven. There you go. Beautiful. And finally, what are you grateful for, Adrian? I'm grateful for my family, um, my wife and my daughter who look after me and um, we're super, super tight. Beautiful. Love it. Love that. That's so great to have a family in that condition. I am super grateful for uh, having the opportunity to meet you, get to know you and have you join me on the Everyday Millionaire podcast, Adrian. Like you, I am always grateful for my family, even though sometimes I need to be reminded that to get my head out of my butt, pay attention to uh, how well I'm looked after in my family and particularly by my wife, Stephanie. So I'm grateful for that today and thanks for bringing my attention to it. Adrian, thank you so much for sharing part of your journey, the lessons learned, and uh, really appreciate your time. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for listening. If you found value in the podcast, please take the time to rate and review and share with others, share with your friends. As it is my goal to always improve and to provide the highest value for you, the listener, if you have any comments, suggestions, or questions you'd like answered, please email me at ceo at raincanada.com. That's ceo at reincanada.com. I look forward to hearing from you. And until next time, Patrick out.